I'm in a series, as you know, entitled Father Knows Best, and, and I've taught about how we can prosper, Father Knows Best, how we can prosper. Thank you for your commitment to tithe. Keep doing that. I promise you, your life is going to experience favor. And also, I've talked about the blessing of being empty, that Father knows best that we need to be empty sometimes. And then I've started a new series a couple of weeks ago, just the week before Mother's Day, entitled How to Confront Your Weaknesses and Turn Them into Strengths. And that's also based on Father Knows Best, how we can do this. And I use Samson, and um, for I pointed out that for every great strength, there is a corresponding and equal weakness that you must discover and that you must then set about turning into a strength. And that's why these things are here. This is a treadmill, and this builds up your aerobic conditioning, aerobic conditioning. And it, I mean, you give your heart a good beating. How many of you know every once in a while our heart needs some help? Amen. I'm talking spiritually now. And this is a weight bench, and you need some resistance training in your life. They don't teach this anymore. I'm talking about in life. Now the philosophy is, if, you feel, if it feels good and you think it's right, go do it. There better be some resistance in your life to some things. If you want to have a life that is rewarding and fulfilling, you've got to, well, Nancy Reagan said it many years ago, just say no. And people don't, don't do that anymore. Anything they can do, they feel like they're entitled to do it. And that does not help you discover your weakness. It will not help you make that become a strength. And that will then become your Achilles heel. In James 1 and verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is, notice this, full grown, brings forth death. There's a process that is described in these verses. That it begins with desire, and then it takes over your thought life. When desire is conceived, that's what that means. Then it gives birth to action, or sin. And then when once that happens, you are on a greasy slope. And you start sliding. And when sin is fully developed in your life, it brings forth death. I want everybody to say with me, God is on board. Would you do that? Point at your chest, your heart, and say, I have the spirit of God living inside of me. You're carrying the Holy Spirit. If you don't mind, I've got another Cajun joke. And again, if you're a Cajun and you're visiting, I am one. I'm talking about us right now, Shai. Okay. Okay. While on a visit to the U.S., the Pope decided to visit New Iberia. And he was picked up in the airport by a limousine. Beautiful car, dark tinted glasses. He looked at the car and he said to the driver, whose name was Thibodeau, he said, you know, I never get to drive. Would you please let me drive today? And Thibodeau was stunned. He was understandably hesitant. And he said, I'm sorry. But he said, I don't think I'm supposed to do that. And the Pope persisted, please, there isn't much traffic. Look, there's no no traffic. I'll be all right. Just let me drive. So Thibodeau says, oh, all right. I can't say no to the Pope. And so the Pope takes the wheel and Thibodeau gets in the back. 
And it turns out that the Pope is a speed demon. And he hits the gas and he's going 100 miles an hour right through a 45 mile an hour speed zone. And Boudreaux, the policeman, pulls him over. And Boudreaux walks up and asks the Pope to roll down the tinted window. And of course he's shocked when he sees it's the Pope that's driving the limo. And Boudreaux asks the Pope, please sir, would you just wait one minute? I'll be right back. And he goes to the patrol car and he radios the chief and he says, chief, I done got a problem. And the chief said, what sort of problem you got, Boudreaux? And he says, well, you see, I pulled this guy over for driving way over the speed limit and it's someone really important. And the chief said, important like the mayor? And Boudreaux answered and said, no, sir, much more important than that. And the patrolman answered, or the, the chief replied, important like the governor? And Boudreaux answered, way more important than that, chef. And the chief asked, like the president? And Boudreaux said, more. And the chief said, Boudreaux, who's more important than the president? And Boudreaux answered, I'm not sure. But I think it's God. He's got the Pope driving for him. Amen. (laughs) So you driving for God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I got God on the inside. Amen. The text today is John, 1 John 2, verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Now watch this. He starts again. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Can you see that? Little children, fathers, strong young men. Little children, fathers, strong young men. He repeats that twice. In Hosea chapter 10, verse 1, how prosperous Israel is, a luxuriant vine loaded with fruit, but the richer the people get, the more pagan altars they build. Whoa. The more bountiful their harvest, the more beautiful their sacred pillars become. What in the world? God says, the more I bless you, Israel, the more you use your blessing that I've given you to indulge in wrongdoing. And then God said in the next verse, that's because their heart is divided. Now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars, which you might say that that is indicative of a judgment of God because that's how we were taught, right? But if you understand that God is love, what he's really saying is, I'm not letting you go that route. I'm going to destroy what you're, you're making into an idol. You're not going to find any satisfaction there. That is heavy-duty stuff. If I can, I want to connect this with my last message when I talked about Samson. That I talked about being so strong, but his weakness, the flip side of the same coin, brought him down. That's why we need to diagnose our weaknesses, excuse me, diagnose our weaknesses, and then set about trying to make them strengths by our personal devotional life, 
aerobic conditioning, getting our wind back. Wind in the Bible represents the Holy Spirit. Resistance training. Fasting and praying and saying no. So if you will allow me to connect this with the last message that I preached, I want to speak today from the subject, I'm not Samson. Healing a divided heart. Father, would you please speak to us today because we really do need your help. We always do, but I really do with the subject I'm about to address today. And I pray that the audience will be receptive. This church will hear because I'm going to talk to issues that I know are present that we all struggle with. And so would you receive glory from this? In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen. Before I begin, I must tell you that I debated about how and where I should address the things that I'm going to talk about. And my subject is going to shock some of you because it isn't usually something that you hear talked about in church. I'm going to talk about compulsive sexual behavior. My indecisiveness was not at all whether or not I should speak on the subject, but where and how. I didn't know if I needed to do this in a men's class and a separate women's class and maybe even one for young people because God knows we all, before I'm done, you'll see we need it. And it's been after a lot of prayer that I decided to teach this on Sunday morning. And um, I'm going to finish this up. It's going to take me about another three weeks to go through everything that I have to say about this. Next Sunday, Bishop Tudor will be with us. And so I kicked it off a couple of weeks ago. I'll go a little deeper today. You will not want to miss this. I'm even thinking about having them put SEX up on the board out in front of the church. I guarantee you we're going to have some folks stop by. Amen. 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 It has been a time of intense personal devotion for me personally. Intense personal devotion. I was recently in South Africa about six weeks ago and just something hit me, wham. And I haven't got, I haven't shaken it, don't want to shake it, uh, the presence of the Lord. And it was in this season of of intercession before God that I really felt like I needed to to address this. And I'm doing it on a Sunday morning for several reasons. First, even though not everyone here is struggling with what I'm going to talk about, there's not a one of us here that couldn't be drawn into it. Nobody's exempt from temptation. Second, I decided to speak on this publicly because there are a number of people, both men and women in this auditorium, who are struggling in this area. Third, I felt I should speak on this because there are people here who are living with a trauma caused by having someone close to you who is struggling in this area. And fourth, There isn't a person here who isn't connected in some way to a family member, a friend or a work associate who's beyond struggling and is literally out of control right now. Fifth, I felt I needed to speak about this because the factors that can contribute to this addiction are all around us and present a clear and present danger to every one of us and they're getting stronger and stronger and stronger all the time. This stuff is in your face. Emails. Porno on the internet. The attitude of society. 
It's okay. Go ahead and do it. Everybody else is. Six, I felt I needed to speak on this subject because of the profound effect social media, TV, the culture, and the internet is having on children, young people, and young adults in this very area. You say, but the kids are not here. It doesn't matter if the parents are here. I'm glad because most parents have no idea how deeply the use of social media and the internet is affecting their kids right now. Most people here don't have a clue. Amen. The seventh reason that I believe this should be addressed and brought out in the open is because this is an epidemic and will continue to have a profound sociological effect on our world. The truth is they say that we will not for the next 100 years know how much devastating the, the how much devastation the current trends will have caused in society. Marriage may become extinct. And finally the eighth reason is that my my heart goes out to people who struggle in this area. I am a pastor. And I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm here so that you can live a life that's full. And to do that, we have to encounter certain road blocks along the way that we're going to have to navigate around. Compulsive sexual behavior that leads to sexual addiction is much more common than you think. And a big reason for this is because today's culture has actually changed the way we look at it. Look at sex. Look at sin. Look at behavior related to this. Things that were once forbidden are now, oh my God, let's all do it. Let's have a party, you know, and culture may say things like this are okay, but I want you to understand clearly that even though culture says it's okay, God still calls it sin. Amen. And one of the reasons that people in the church struggle to understand when I use the term sexual addiction, they don't know what that means, is because they don't believe it's an addiction. They believe it's a choice. That's right. You just repent, get your heart right, get over it, straighten up, use more willpower. The second reason that this is so challenging for many believers is that some of them, when you talk about sexual addiction, immediately your mind goes to the, the criminal the rapist, child molester. And I want to tell you, the world has become a very dangerous place if you don't know it. But it's more than that now. When it comes to sexual addiction, it's gone mainstream. Truth is that CEOs are struggling of high-profile companies. Doctors, attorneys, professors, Need I say this? Presidents of the United States of America have dealt with it. Anybody remember a name? (laughs) Called Bill? Y'all want to go all the way back to JFK? Ministers, I'm not going to call names. Some of them... I turned on the TV the other day and watched a minister. And I very seldom watch TV, about an hour a week. And I somehow caught his program. And it was, on the, it was actually on YouTube. And I caught his program. And I sat there and tears came in my eyes. Because I remember how powerful that ministry used to be. And now it's just a small handful of people because of the thing I'm going to talk about today. 
We've learned some things about sexual addiction since it began to be studied in the 70s. And we now know that addictions are not just an attachment to a chemical. That's what we all used to believe. We used to believe it was chemical that we got addicted to and we have difficulty breaking free from it. No, did you know that one third of the adults in the United States struggle with obsessive overeating? It's not a chemical. Two thirds of our kids watch pornography. That's not a chemical. 34% of those kids will go on to become at risk for sexually compulsive behavior. Sexual addiction is now classified as the biggest problem that exists in this country, and we are blind to it in the church. Absolutely blind to it. And one reason is, is because we still think that it's just something you fix with willpower. And we look at that text in James, and to me it's very clear. I hope it is to you. It begins with our own flesh and desire. Then it moves to our mind. And then it moves to action. And from action to more action. And then when it's full grown, it becomes death. I personally think that that's talking about the addictive process. Amen. It is the biggest problem we have in the United States medically. It is the most expensive problem to treat. It is our biggest problem socially. It's our biggest problem in schools, our biggest cause of crime, and our biggest cause of injury to children. Obsessive sexual behavior. And unfortunately, we don't want to deal with it. And even right now in the church, some of you that have been in the church a long time, you're saying, you just need to get their heart right. Oh, honey, it went way beyond that. Way beyond that. You don't know how many people I've counseled, not just with this type of addiction, but with others who cried and said, I can't break free. I'm thinking of Jerry. I'm not going to call his name, but if you've been around here a long while, you'll remember a guy named Jerry who's going on to be with the Lord, who used to sit in my office and cry and cry and say, I'm just not as strong as other men. His addiction was drugs. I say, Jerry, we've got to pray. He said, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm weaker than most people. And I'll get to the reason why this is a significant point. I'm thinking of the young man that took his own life that was a member of this church and I preached his funeral. Loved God, would stand right here in front of the altar and weep and sob and cry because he was dealing with an addiction. And I mean talking tongues cry and pray. And then because he was unable to overcome that thing within his flesh in a moment when these drugs possessed his thinking, he took his own life. To understand the way that this works, you've got to realize it's a process and it will lead you to where you don't want to go. It starts out as fun, but addictions are brain diseases. And that is the way the brain performs is literally changed by engaging in the things it calls addiction. Say like smoking, drugs, pornography, and so forth. The things that are destructive. At first, it feels like a choice and it is. And the choice is the one that James talked about. It's the decision to act. That act is a sin. And you give in and you think, I'll just give in. And when we normally give in is when we're stressed out. 
You're either under a lot of stress, you've got all kind of problems, you're angry, you don't know what to do, you're worried. And what happens is you hit a brick wall, bam. And you look for some kind of release and relief. And for some that's drugs. For others, it's acts of immorality. And though it begins as a choice, it quickly becomes bondage. For Paul said in Romans seven nineteen, the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do is what I practice. And in verse 20, now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so I just want to right now make a correction. The world, your professors, all these guys out there, you know, the, the, the news, the media, everybody says, this is okay, it's normal behavior now. And what they're not telling you is that it's a slippery slope. Those professors that are telling you that it's okay, ask them how many times they've been married. Amen. Addiction begins in what is called the reward center of the brain. This may bore you, but I need a few minutes to be able to do this. When you do something that is pleasurable, it activates the midbrain and produces and releases dopamine. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that sends signals to other parts of the brain. It is one of the most powerful feel-good agents that exist. We call it, it's produced in an, an area they call the ventral tegmental area the rvta for short that's where it starts right there you do something that bring brings pleasure what actually happened is it activates that area and it releases dopamine dopamine is more powerful than any drug you have ever heard of in your life doing certain things can literally raise the dopamine level as much as 10 times above its normal levels And the dopamine produced there travels along neural pathways called the mesolimbic pathway to other parts of the reward center that have dopamine receptors that can receive the dopamine. Now watch this. And I'm boring you already, but please hang on. I'll unpack this and then you'll be glad I did. It goes to the nucleus accumbens. And it play, this plays, this is a part of the brain that plays a, a significant role in processing motivation, reward, aversion, pleasure. For example, when mothers are shown pictures of infants, this is the area of the brain that lights up. In other words, this is the emotional center of the brain. And so you have now moved from pleasure to an emotional attachment to that And then it goes to the amygdala, which helps regulate those emotions from there to the prefrontal cortex, which helps focus your attention on it. And then to the hippocampus, which is the memory. And from there to the striatum, and this is the part of the brain where habits are formed and it's activated when pleasure occurs or in anticipation of pleasure. Anticipation of pleasure. You think something, I'm going to do something here. And it starts getting activated. Now watch this because this is the way that it works. Say you eat a piece of cake. Chocolate cake with blue bell ice cream on top. I'm not going to hurry. I'm going to unpack it right. Thank you. Amen. And what happens is 
dopamine is produced goes straight to the nucleus accumbens and interfaces with the limbic system and develops an emotional attachment. Now, this is this is not just good and feels good, man. This is whoa, I am enjoying this. This is fun. I love this. And here's what happens if you are struggling in your life. And I'm talking to married couples right now. And every married couple goes through ups and downs and challenges. You will find an emotional payoff at this point that you might not be getting at home. Hang with me now. And then it goes to the amygdala, which regulates that emotions, which say, this makes me happy because it's a fun and pleasurable experience. Remember, sin can be fun. This is what the Bible says. There is pleasure in sin for a Come on, say it, for a season. And then it goes to the hippocampus. That cake sure is good. And it was so enjoyable. Let me remember this so I can do it again. And the prefrontal cortex focuses your attention on what caused the sensation of pleasure. And then the nucleus accumbens together with the striatum says that since this was so fun, I am anticipating and looking forward to doing this again. And what you have just done, when you step into that dimension, you have experienced a level of payoff, of reward, but you have begun to rewire your brain. Oh, I need somebody to help me right now. And this is what happens when you go into this. Amen. The dopamine levels go way up. Okay, you got that? Dopamine levels go way up. That's what causes the, the feeling uh, uh, that, that was so enjoyable. But the serotonin levels go down. As the dopamine goes up, serotonin goes down. Dopamine is the feel-good agent in the brain, right? Well, let me tell you what serotonin does. Serotonin is what causes you to feel satisfaction. Cessation. This is why the more you do this, the less satisfying it becomes. And after a while, you're right back with Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. Anybody remember? You can't get any satisfaction. I'm preaching to you right now. Oh, you may experience the satisfaction of the momentary experience. Whatever you're engaged in, let me be polite and delicate company here. But you don't get any satisfaction like you used to. And it gets worse the more you do it, the more the dopamine goes up, the less serotonin you have. And it becomes more and more empty. That is why in the far east where much of this drug craze started with things like hashish and opium, the common phrase is chasing the dragon. Why? Because you're constantly chasing that thrill. Or to use another song. Thrill is gone. The thrill is gone away. Gone away for good. The thrill is gone. It's gone away for good. Yeah, it's gone. (laughs) 
And what happens is it's like eating a box of chocolates that somebody gives you. Christmas time or Valentine's or your birthday. You, when you first start one or two, and man, that's it. Right? Maybe you sneak in and get a third later on. It takes you a week and a half to finish that box of chocolates. Somebody said no. <laughs> well, you're... You're you're a great illustration for what I'm talking about. Amen. (laughs) And you're in the store and you see the same box of chocolates and you think, that was pretty good. And you buy it. And this time, instead of a week and a half, nine days. And then you reach the point that you get that box of chocolate and you go home and you eat every one of them in one sitting because you don't get no satisfaction like you used to. And this is the danger of pornography. This is the danger of sexual addiction. And it's out there in your face everywhere you go. Call 1-900. Hello, somebody. Am I preaching to anybody right now? It's at this point that you become addicted. And so this is the process. First, the temptation of improper sexual behavior is an impulse. And when we give in, something changes. It becomes a habit. And then it becomes compulsive. And we can't stop. And that's because they've learned that neurons that fire together wire together. And you're creating new neurological pathways in your brain. And this is why the Bible says this. It's the only sin that the Bible says this about. But when you're tempted to enter into sexual activity that is illicit, run. Run. Don't walk, run. There used to be an old song, walk, don't run. Well, don't walk, run. Amen. You got to run. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, run from sexual sin. Paul says, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife. Culture says, don't run. Oh man, that's cool. Look, you, you know, you got it going on. I mean, she's coming on to you there and you know what? Do I need to get more explicit? Run. You know what that means? It means don't call. Don't text. Don't WhatsApp. Don't do lunch. Don't do anything that leaves the door open. Run. Don't drive down that street. Don't open emails. You get an email, put it in the trash box, and empty the trash box. Amen, amen. Sexual sin has an effect on your brain. That's why Paul says that you're harming yourself. For years you will be affected. Do you know the recovery process is not six weeks? The recovery process is two to three years once you get involved in this. Counseling, prayer, fighting, resistance training. 
prayer meetings, intercession. God, help me, give me the strength to say no. Fasting, hello somebody. You don't want to open that door. And Paul said, this is the sin, the only sin that you do that is against your own body. Amen. No other sin, he said, so clearly affects the body as this one does. Amen. It damages you how? By rewiring your brain. And you know what? We get into it. Can I just be real honest? Because we're stupid. We trust this. We trust the flesh. Yes, we do. Amen. People think that temptation is what causes sin. It isn't. You cannot get away from temptation. Temptation is not sin. There's nowhere you can go where there's not going to be temptation. At the moment, there's more temptation than there ever has been. Turn on the TV. Watch a music video. I demonstrate, but I... Temptation is not why you sin. It's confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3.3, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. But what do we say? I can handle it. Just going to call, just send a text. It's not going anywhere. Nothing's going to happen. And then you wake up a few months down the road and you say, what did I get myself into? So the cycle goes like this and it's a downward spiral. There's temptation. Then there's confidence in the flesh. And then there's sin. Because you can't have confidence in the flesh. That's why you got to slam that door and stand there and say, God, help me keep it closed. And then there's guilt. Guilt is condemnation over what you've done. And that leads to the next step, which is extreme resolutions. You know what I'm talking about? I'll never do that again, God. I'll never do that again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast. A, uh, 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 I'll fast 40 hours just today. There aren't even 40 hours in a day. Extreme resolutions. And because you're trusting in your flesh to keep those resolutions... And that's what started this to begin with. You face temptation again and more sin. And the process keeps going until your brain is rewired. And at that point, that's what we would classify as an addiction. You say it happens with sex, immorality. You better know it does. We had a president that was almost impeached, was impeached. We had another one that had a revolving back door on the back of his presidential office, the Oval Office. Anybody old enough to remember those things? Somebody say, what about the current one? I have no doubt that he's dealing with his issues too from all accounts. But he isn't the only one. Hello, somebody. Some of those casting the most stones, as it turns out, in the media were the biggest culprits of all. Oh, I'm preaching better than you're responding. You say, are you taking a position to defend him? No, I'm not. He needs to get his act together. But I'm just saying, you know who the biggest haters in the world are? 
the ones that are guilty of what you're doing. They will hate on you because in hating on you, it makes them feel better about themselves. Hello, somebody. So you move into addiction and then you have to face the consequences of your poor choices and the list of consequences can be very long and painful. There's shame. That's different than guilt. Guilt is what you've done. Shame is who you are. And you get involved in this long enough and after a while this becomes your identity and that's why I mentioned Jerry a little bit earlier because he was totally convinced. Pastor, I can't live. My life is filled with shame. I'm not strong like you guys are. And I would tell him, Jerry, I'm tempted every day of my life just like you. But you just have to, you have to get involved in some kind of program to pull you out. And you, have, you need support and, and prayer. And, and he would just weep and cry and go right back to what he was doing until he died. The list of consequences is long. There's shame. Then there's the loss of respect from others. Then there are relational losses because by now you're blowing up your marriage. Kids don't want to see you anymore. You've wounded them so badly. Financial losses. Anybody know the name Steven Tyler? Aerosmith? You bunch of pagans, how you know all of that? I'm going to pray for y'all. Jesus' name. You see, I got my list of those that are sanctified like B.B. King, but Stephen Tyler, he's, no, I'm joking with you. Stephen Tyler yesterday admitted he had spent over $2 million on drugs. Health issues that result from all of this, STDs, leads to other destructive behavior. You wonder how a person can get involved in something like child pornography? I'm going to show you right now that when you get on that slope, you don't know where you're going to stop once you start sliding. Because once the dopamine goes up and the serotonin goes down, you're looking for that thrill again. And it takes something else, something more radical, something more. And you just find yourself doing things you never dreamed you would ever do. You say, how do people end up there? I'm telling you how. And of course, then you face civil penalties. And then you have to deal with a reduced future because you have lost the respect of people who once believed in you. And for you to get it back, you've got to work hard. That's a cycle. So let me begin to wrap this up by mentioning this. Note in the reading from 1 John 2, I pointed it out already. He first directs, John speaks to little children Then he speaks to fathers. Then he speaks to young men. Then he does it again. It looks like he's positioned fathers out of place in the growth process. It should be children, young men, fathers. Children, young men, fathers. It's not like that. It's children, fathers, young men. But notice this. It's children, fathers who know God. Strong young men. God put the father, the man in the home to be able to produce children that are strong and can withstand temptation. Hello, somebody. And the truth is that our children are a reflection of our strengths. 
but unfortunately they can be a reflection of our weaknesses. This is what we call a generational curse. And when you open that door and get involved in activity like that, you don't know where it's going to stop or even what generation it's going to stop. Somebody's going to have to do what you're not doing. They're going to have to say it stops with me. It stops with me. I'm not letting this go any further. So rather than let generations deal with it, why don't you do it right now and say by the grace of God. I'm turning my life around. When fathers have divided hearts, that's what God told Israel, you have a divided heart. When fathers have a divided heart, their hearts are torn between God and an attraction to things. And that was Samson's problem. And you know where I think he got it? And I'm I'm unpacking this and I'm, I'm about done. If you go back to Judges and read the story of Samson, you will find there is something that is very unusual in that story. The angel appeared to the mother and said, you're going to have a child named Samson. He'll be a Nazarite. He's going to be very strong. Anybody notice anything unusual? The angel appeared to the mother. You will not find that happening in your Bible. Not that God doesn't connect with mothers or women. In that culture, that was one of the biggest insults. That, the, that God would send an angel to speak to the woman when the dad is there. But it not only happened once, it happened twice. The angel appeared to the woman and she had to go get the husband. There's something about this that's not right. It ought to have been the husband going to get the wife. And I wonder if the reason that Samson had a divided heart was because daddy did. Why else would God have violated culture, tradition, and everything else? Our families in this nation are struggling at the family level from a lack of spiritual leadership because fathers are absent. We don't have kids, fathers who know God, strong young men and women. We have kids, weak young young men and women, and detached fathers. Maybe they're not even present. Dad, you're called by God to protect your children. And you don't want this beast that I'm talking about getting a hold of them. When you have a divided heart, It's usually because you've allowed yourself to look in two different directions at the same time. You're looking at spiritual things, the things of God, but also the things that are attractive in the world. And everything that I'm talking about begins with sight. Any man will tell you he is sight motivated. Could I please ask our ladies? Be modest. Don't go around floating, uh, flaunting your assets because, you know, men are. 
You say you're excusing men. That's what, that's what feminists say. You can't talk like that, Pastor. You're, you're excusing men. No, I'm not. I spent 40 minutes talking to men today, as well as women, of course. But, but men, I think, are probably getting hit harder. And I make one statement, and somebody says, oh, we ought to be able to dress any way we want to. And then you wonder why there's so much mess out there. And forgive me because I just got to tell you the truth. We, what we really need, I'll close with. But Samson saw a woman of the Philistines. Eve saw the fruit was good for food. Achan saw a goodly Babylonian garment, a shekel of gold, a wedge of silver, and he took them. David saw Bathsheba bathing. Job said in Job, he understood this. Job 31 and 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. I'm going to protect my sight. That means I'm not pulling up any internet sites that I shouldn't see. It's all around us. It's everywhere. Drive down the street and this is what's going on. You get all of these emails. I mean, I fill out a couple of applications online that were entirely legitimate. And they must have sold my email address. And I am getting emails on top of emails from somebody named Jessica. Anybody out there hearing? Yeah, you too? Okay. I don't need Jessica. Do you need a Russian bride? One of them asked. No, I don't. I've got one that I've had for 51 years. Why would I want a Russian bride? She don't know how to cook gumbo. Amen. I don't need no Russian bride. I'm happy with the one I've got. The devil took Jesus to an exceeding high mountain to show him the kingdoms of the world. That's why it's called the temptation of Christ. Notice it was the devil who did this, and this is where I close. It's the devil that gets involved in all of this process. And what starts and And again, I want to point out to you that that this is a completely physical response. You start over here yielding to the the temptations of the flesh, and then it becomes sin. Then you get involved, and you move deeper and deeper and deeper, and you rewire the wiring of your own brain. That's all physical. But don't you for a minute think there's not a devil involved in the middle of all of that saying, it's okay, hello, somebody. Amen. What you see affects your thoughts. Amen. And again, neurons that fire together, wire together. So I'm done. Israel had a divided heart. But our Heavenly Father did not leave them without hope. He loves us through the process of recovery and deliverance. He worked with them to heal their divided heart. Even if it meant he had to take their idols away from them. What you need to do is say, God, I release you to take away anything that should not be in my life. I've got young people in this building, so let me talk to young people. You need to pray, God, if he wasn't meant for me, take him away. 
Take him away. If she wasn't meant for me, take them away. I don't want to end up with somebody I wasn't supposed to be with. Look how this prophecy ends in Hosea 14, verse 4. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger has turned from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread. His beauty shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. And those who dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Let me close by telling you God said he's going to restore you. Amen. You'll be revived. I'm preaching to somebody right now. I need somebody to say, I will be revived. Would you do that? And he said, they shall return. God's going to give you a family back. God's going to give you a life back. God's going to give you a ministry back. God's going to give you the things the enemy stole from you back. They're returning. They're returning. Somebody needs to stand to their feet and say, I'm claiming it back. Remain standing. I have Scott McKinney to thank for helping me with this. Thank you, Scott, for the tremendous job that you've done in putting this together. I'm grateful because it helps illustrate my point. Life application points. How do you heal a divided heart? One, seek for God's character to be formed in you. First Peter 16, 1 and 16, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Number two, understand that holiness is really a synonym for wholeness. Most of us, we've had association with churches with their long list of rules and we rebelled from all of that. They tried to tell us holiness was a list of thou shalt nots. It isn't. Holiness is wholeness. Colossians 2.10, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. 4.12, Epras who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. This is my calling as your pastor. I'm praying for you. While I pray for me, I'm praying for you. So number one, seek God's character. Number two, understand that holiness is wholeness. And number three, Seek God for the healing of your broken places.